Hi, I'm Tracy. I'm April. And this is Killer Spirits. Welcome to episode 54. That's where we are. Five, four. <laughs> the big five, four. We're still working on that recipe book. It's coming at you. We promise. It's coming. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot the of holidays. Things. We've been up to a lot. We've yeah, we been on, on vacation. We went on some adventures last weekend. We've it just was been, so fun. Things have been jam-packed. Yes. We actually went to the beach and a whole lot of wineries. That was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I thought I bought a lot of wine, but now that I've been drinking it, I'm like, I actually wish I bought more wine. I didn't, yeah, I thought, I remember like halfway through our trip being like, oh shit, I should probably like slow down on this wine buying. But then I took two bottles to Thanksgiving. Exactly. And I'm like, like, oh, I only have like four bottles left. In one week, I've blown through like five of them. Yeah. And like, I only bought 10 bottles. I'm like, yeah. hello, I need more bottles. I should have bought more. What's wrong with us? Well, that just means we'll have to go again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so we are back today. We have an interesting story. Actually, it's April story today, so I have no idea Yay. what's going on. But we did make a very good cocktail for you it. You just know that it's Scottish. I know it's Scottish. Um, so but we didn't use scotch for our drink today because well, you know what? I don't you know, have scotch. We didn't have it. And that you know, there you go. <laughs> but apparently, you Scots also really like vodka, mm-hmm. which we did use today. And we also used butterscotch. So you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Which in our minds totally made sense. It made sense. It makes zero sense in the world Scotch. of Scotland. But you know what? You're going to work with us right now. <laughs> That's what we did. So our drink today is called the Butterscotch Beast. Which it is very beasty because it's delicious. First of all, you're going to use three ounces of butterscotch schnapps. Three ounces of Kahlua. And this is for two drinks, by the way. Three ounces of vanilla vodka and three ounces of chocolate liqueur. So you just use three ounces of all of those, pour it in a shaker with some ice, shake the crap out of it, pour it into two coupe glasses, and garnish with the cherries of your choice. It's like a butterscotch it's, candy wrapped in chocolate. That's exactly what it is. Cause it's you, like a Werther's original with chocolate on it. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That is. That's the perfect way to describe it. It is so good because you can taste the butterscotch, but you can also taste the chocolate. (laughs) But you can use Irish cream if you want instead of chocolate liqueur. I don't know. You know, you just use what you got. Oh, yeah. And it's still delish. And I feel like I have multiple cocktail parties to go to this season, and I have to decide which of our cocktails to make. I have no cocktail parties to go to. Oh, wow. Last year I had nothing to do, so... (laughs) It's kind of exciting to have things I have to do. Cookie decorating. Cookie decorating. Not quite the same as a cocktail party. But you could make your cocktail to pair with your cookies. Oh, I will. You could make oh you can make a cookie cocktail. Oh, I will. Okay, it's happening. It's going yeah. on. Um, because you know, there are just some things you need to do to get through the activities. <laughs> yeah. It's just the way it is. Yes. And if you're inside of America, 
Well, I mean, even here outside of America, you know that we had Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. Actually, when I lived and when I lived abroad, we I had Thanksgiving with my flatmates, and they loved it. We had a lot of fun because mm-hmm. the food is delish, and we had a lot of good food. So we are recovering still, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. All right, are you ready? I don't like those bourbon cherries. I don't either. I wasn't going to tell you though. <laughs> I don't know why. I feel like I should like them. I like bourbon. It's just not like I literally just spit it out. Yeah, it's not good. We use bourbon cherries for ours. So I would actually just use maraschino cherries. Yeah, just use like the bright red ones. Or they have the bada bing ones that are not bourbon. True. Which are also really good. But yeah, the bourbon. I don't like them. I don't like things soaked in alcohol. Maybe that's it. I do not like gummy bears soaked in alcohol. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. I don't like anything like that. So don't make me chew it. Don't don't. Yeah, I don't want to chew my alcohol, guys. Or even it those almost, little alcohol chocolates are disgusting oh yeah, I don't to like me. There's they don't taste right. It just makes me like when I taste the cherry. It just makes me think it's like fermented and bad. It does. That's taste what that makes way. it makes me feel like that. I choked mine down, but. <laughs> But yeah, we'll use them just for pictures in the future because those are not. We'll we'll just tell you that these are regular bada bing. We we would never tell you to use the bourbon because we don't like them. But maybe there's someone out there who's like, oh my god, I love the bourbon. Yeah, that's fine. You can love them. You can buy them all. (laughs) We don't care. We'll leave them on the shelves for you. I promise. As you may have guessed by listening to a few episodes of the Killer Spirits podcast, we look up some pretty questionable information online. Without context, some of our interests could appear pretty suspicious. That's why we use Surfshark, the VPN service we trust. With Surfshark, you can protect your online identity and keep you and your family's online activity private at all times. Surfshark can offer the assurance you need that you are browsing privately with encryption so no one can track or steal your data including hackers, companies, or bots. Their strict no-logs policy ensures that even Surfshark can't track you. They don't keep any record of your online activity. You can change your IP address to hide your location to avoid tracking. With the S-Alert feature, Surfshark gives real-time alerts when your emails and passwords are at risk of being hacked. And with their clean web feature, you can surf the web with no annoying ads, trackers, malware, or phishing attempts. One of the most unique things about Surfshark is that you can protect your family on an unlimited amount of devices for a super low price, and they have 24-7 customer support. Follow the link in the description to support the show and sign up for Surfshark today at prices starting as low as $2.49 a month. That is a seriously incredible deal for a little extra safety and security for you and your family. Agreed. Go check them out in the link in the description. Okay, so what is our story today? Today's story it is The Beast of Birkinshaw. Okay, I've never heard this story, so I'm very excited. So actually, um, this story has a lot of like, not a lot, but several like landmark events in it. Oh, okay. So like he's the most prolific serial killer in Scotland. Really? Really. Didn't know. Um, I'm trying to think of what other, um, he had an alarmingly short trial. Like a day? 
It was two weeks. Oh, okay. But like short for being a serial killer. Yes. Right. Um, there were just a lot of things. Okay. And also his story's been, I'll say his story, um, his crimes have been depicted um, sort of directly and then also uses inspiration for several current pop culture shows. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'll go over that at the yeah, end. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Okay, so today we're talking about Peter Thomas Anthony Manuel, a.k.a. the Beast of Birkinshaw. Most of the information I got from policemuseum.org.uk, which is the actual police museum in the UK. Okay, that's amazing. It's I website. So I will say that a lot of things that they have in this story, I won't say a lot, a few of the things they have in the story don't align with what's on Wikipedia. So if that's mm. a problem for you, consider it all. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Well, Wikipedia is not necessarily known for being... Correct. Yeah, that's why I took this one. Yeah, as the more correct. Like even Wikipedia had his birthday different. What the doodle? Yeah, it was like two days. I mean, it's just normal people putting stuff up there. Off. But I mean, in theory, they're citing it from somewhere. I just yeah felt like this police museum probably had more information. Right. Also, I'll get into it at the end. His trial was the most heavily documented trial in Scotland's history. Wow. So I didn't look at the trial documents, but apparently it's very in depth. So. That's cool. I I would have totally like fallen into the oh my gosh document I couldn't hole. rabbit hole it today. <laughs> you I could not rabbit hole it today. <laughs> okay, so Peter Thomas Anthony Manuel, aka the Beast of Birkinshaw, was born March fifteenth, nineteen twenty seven, in Manhattan, New York, to Samuel and Bridget Manuel. Peter had an old Samuel Manuel. I'm sorry, that's cute. Samuel Manuel. <laughs> That's really cute. And Bridget Manuel. Um, Peter had an older brother named James and a younger sister, Teresa. His parents were immigrants from Scotland who came to the United States to look for work and have a better life. So even though at this time Scotland was experiencing growth, um, there weren't enough decent paying and safe jobs to go around. So Scotland was also experience, experiencing an economic depression between 1841 and 1931, approximately 2 million Scots immigrated to North America and Australia. Mm. And the Manuals were one of those families. Wow. Which is a lot of people. I think I calculated that 2 million, I say I calculated, I'm not, <laughs> I don't, I'm not calculating okay, things. Okay, math whiz. <laughs> kind of like the way it was presented in what I was reading, it sounded like, Two million was roughly eight to ten percent of their population. Wow, that is a lot. Yeah, because it was like 0.8 of the actual population, mm-hmm. but considering for growth, oh, I see, would have been like seven point two percent. So I'm considering that eight percent. You just rounded way the hell up. No, 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 because the all the percents together. Oh, I see. What you're would saying. be eight percent. I see what you're saying because like. I don't know. The growth you can't measure because the people. Don't it doesn't exist. matter. What it basically, blah, blah, blah. it's a shit ton. <laughs> I'm saying 2 million is probably like 8%, which is a lot of people. It is. So, um, and actually, I was looking up. Um, I know when Irish people came to America, they faced like <sighs> ethnic discrimination. Mm-hmm. Scots were not really subject to that. Really? Yeah, like they settled here so early mm. that um, 
they were sort of just like incorporated into, I don't know, quotes, regular. They were just kind of Anglo-Saxon life. I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, so even though like, of course there's problems between Brits and Irish and Scottish. Right. Historically, they, when they came over here, it was kind of like, nah, they're all, it's all part of it. And it could just all be in the timing. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Peter's family moved from New York to Detroit, Michigan. Um, but their stay in the U.S. was cut short. His father was working in a car factory in Detroit and his mother was working as a domestic servant, which I'm guessing is like a housekeeper. Um, when his father fell ill and poverty forced them to return to Scotland. So they returned to Scotland in 1932, and Peter was only five years old. So they first stayed in a place called Motherwell for the first few years, but moved to Coventry, England in 1937. Uh, Peter was 10 years old, um, but when he went to school in Coventry, he had an American accent. Oh, well, yeah, because, I mean, his formative years were here. Correct. Well, he was born in America, so. Yeah. He has a New York accent, I guess. Um, So because of this, he didn't fit in very well. In England mm. at school. And he was teased and bullied a lot. Also, butterscotch was first uh, created in England. So actually, our drink makes perfect sense, Ayo. guys. Ayo. <laughs> um, 1938 was the year of his first recorded criminal activity. So not to say it was the first time he committed a crime, because that's probably not the case. What year was it? 1938. Oh, so he was still little. He was 11. 11. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So he was 11 years old when he broke into a chapel and stole the collection box. Okay. So my thinking is, like, probably wasn't his first. Yeah, that seems like a pretty big target for having it be your first mm-hmm. rodeo. Yeah. Um. So he was caught, of course, because he's 11. Um. And from then was in and out of reform schools and juvenile detention for petty crimes and burglaries. All right. So he just continued on this path really bad. Cause I mean, I was caught once stealing candy, but I was like 10 and you stopped. I did not continue on the path right. that anyone, or I'm just a really good criminal and no one's ever caught me. Hey, it's either or maybe me too. <laughs> um, when he turned 15, uh, his crimes became violent. Oh, no. So during one of his burglaries, he attacked a sleeping woman with a hammer. What? So from what I can tell, the woman survived. I didn't see anything about her dying. Mm-hmm. Um, but Peter went to Leeds Prison for the attack. Yeah, I would hope so. Yes. On August 25th, 1939, Coventry was bombed by the Irish Republican Army, the IRA, as part of a campaign of bombing English cities. A bomb was left in the bicycle of a basket parked in Coventry City Center in the West Midlands, which resulted in five deaths and 70 injuries. Wow. Although allegedly civilians were not the intended target of the bombing, many people were affected, and Peter's parents' house was damaged so badly that they were forced to move. Oh, wow. They relocated to Birkinshaw. I don't want to say this wrong. Lanarkshire. That doesn't sound right to me. How do you spell it? L-A-N-A-R-K-S-H-I-R-E. Lanarkshire? I don't know. Okay, we're British people tell us. Lanarkshire, Scotland. It sounds good. So once Peter was released from Leeds Prison, he followed his parents. I was going to say Lancashire, but that doesn't seem right. I was going to say that too. But it's not Lancashire. Sorry, we try guys, but we're not always I mean, that's what almost came out of my mouth, but it's Lanarkshire. Right. Anyway, so he followed his parents there, which is just so lucky for them. (laughs) 
the sarcasm. Oh my gosh. These poor, I mean, I want to say this poor family, but they also do things to cover for him. So I really don't think that his poor family, but also like, fuck all of you guys, whatever. Right. Um, Peter continued doing his regular stuff once he was out of prison, you know, burglaries, causing trouble, Mm -hmm. general ruckus. And on February 16th, 1946, so he was released like literally months before that from prison. Um, Peter broke into a bungalow in the Sandy Hills area of Lancashire. Lanarkshire. <laughs> I'm going to call it Lancashire. I don't know. Um, I say broke in, but he was kind of like already there for a while, apparently. Like he lived there? Well, sort of. So... Detective Constable William Muncie and a local sergeant searched the house and gathered some items to hopefully glean some fingerprints from the burglar. Burglar. <laughs> so they they get a call. Hey, this place has been burgled. There's been somebody in the house. Yeah. So they come collect evidence. They leave. Burgled is the best word. I love it. Burgled. Burgled. Uh, it always makes me think of the hamburglar. It does. Uh, <laughs> so later in the day, Muncie, the detective, is thinking about the place they just visited and collected evidence. And he's like, you know what? There was a cup in the kitchen that I feel like may have been used by the person who broke in. We should go back and get that cup. Okay. Because I want to dust it for fingerprints. So when Muncie returned to the house, it was just in time to see Peter prowling around in the garden of the home. So Muncie arrested Peter, and he found out that he was actually living in the house And was hiding behind wood paneling in the loft while the house was being searched by the police. So he's squatting? But people are living there. Okay, so he maybe he's like rented a room or something. No. I'm so He's not supposed to be there. (laughs) So I don't understand what was up with whoever owned the house. And I don't know, like, I don't have any clue how there were people living there and didn't know that he was there. Like, maybe he was just constantly hiding behind wood paneling. But I'm thinking that, like, maybe the loft was more like an attic. Mm. Like, have you heard stories about people finding out there's, like, a guy living in their attic? Or a basement? Yes. Yeah. I think it's kind of like that. That's creepy as F. We don't have attics or basements. Well, I don't. creepy as F. The newer houses don't. Right. So I also think that this incident is, like, him testing the waters. What can I get away with? What can I get away with? Who's going to catch me doing what? What's the lowest level thing that I can do? You know, because I'm not going to get in that much trouble for that. Right. Being in someone's house, like, what are you going to do? Breaking and entering, I guess. Um, But, yeah, he's pushing his boundaries here. Okay. And it gets obviously worse. So, okay, Peter is in trouble for breaking and entering and is arrested by Muncie, but he's allowed bail. Which would be fine if Peter wasn't a sick fuck. So while he's out on bail, he committed three sexual assaults, including the rape of an expectant mother. No, you ass. That's disgusting. Yeah, so I fucking hate him. Um, He served a nine-year sentence and was released in 1955. That's it, nine years. Nine years. And we don't even know, like, how traumatized or injured these people are. They weren't even named. I don't even know who they are. Okay. Um, also, the judge in the case, like, applauded him for being his own defense. 
No, that's disgusting. So, anyway. I applaud you for being a total idiot. So he got three years each for rape. Oh, yeah, please. Um, so once he got out of prison that time, Peter started killing people almost right away. And also, he was actually out on bail. Yes. And he's... It in, should be way worse. Yeah. So he, he spends... Did he spend his whole nine years? He did. Okay, so he, he spent nine his years. nine years. Yep. And then um, he was released in 1955. On the afternoon... Excuse me. Of Wednesday, January 4th, 1956, first four days of the next year, um, George Gribben was taking a stroll on the golf course in East Kilbride when he spotted the body of a woman in a wooded area known as Capel Rig Cops. Cops. That's a cute name. Um, so the woman's head was completely smashed in. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, she had been raped, and it was obvious by her footprints in the mud that she had run for her life oh. approximately 400 yards before being bludgeoned to death. Gribben, the man who stumbled across her body, was obviously shocked and sickened by what he saw, and he ran towards the road in an attempt to get help. He ran into some gas board engineers, which I'm guessing are like city gas workers. Mm-hmm. Um, but his hysterics, like he was obviously freaked out. Yeah. Um, they kind of took it as a joke. And the engineers were like, get lost. Like, you're just some fucking crazy guy. Oh, They basically brushed him off. So then Gibbon ran to, sorry, Gribben ran to a nearby farm and called the police. Okay. Great. So officers later identified the body as 17-year-old Anne Neelans. She was a factory machinist who lived on the Calderwood estate with her parents. So I looked up the Calderwood estate and there is a Calderwood Castle that was still operational when this happened. So mm-hmm. I don't know if her and her parents lived at the castle. I don't. If they did, why would she be a factory machinist? So I think maybe that was just a neighborhood. Probably around the castle. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't think they were castle people. Um, so she went to go out dancing on January. Castle people. I don't know. Sorry. Don't you have to be Are like, you castle people? Don't you have to be like really somebody to live in a castle? I think I just want a t-shirt that says I am not castle I'm people. I'm not castle people. <laughs> um, she went out to go dancing on January 2nd, but was stood up by her date and never returned home. Oh, no. Her parents hadn't reported her missing until the morning of January 4th because they thought she was staying with a friend. She was just literally a baby. She's yeah. 17 years old. But at 17, you're like, okay, you know, she's basically an adult. Oh, it's- she has a job. Absolutely. Maybe she's staying in a friend's house. Not At 17, you also feel like nothing ever bad can happen to you. Which, of course. This is the 50s. Yes. So it seemed even safer. Way safer back then. Yeah. So this murder was the start of a two-year investigation and more killings were reported. So as things got worse, it totally sent a wave of terror over the area. Women didn't go out alone. Families mm. were terrified at home. Um, things got really bad for the people who lived there. So when he was finally apprehended, it was a big sigh of relief for the whole area. People were, like, checking behind their wood paneling. He terrorized <laughs> like, them the for fuck? literal years. Yeah. Wow. So um, Peter was named early on in the investigation about Ann Neelands because he worked for the gas board engineers 
that were on the site of the first murder. Oh. So Peter's boss told the investigators that a guy working on his crew had been in prison for rape and came to work with scratches on his face after January 2nd. So he basically showed up to work with scratches on his face. So Mm -hmm. he's a person of interest. Yes. So the investigators interviewed Peter, but he was able to provide an alibi, which was corroborated by his father. Oh, no. I already see where this is going. So unfortunately, the investigators were unable to find additional evidence to link Peter to the crime. So he was arrested. He was, like, apprehended and questioned. And he's like, I wasn't there. I have an alibi. Ask my dad. And his dad's like, yeah, he was with me. Or something. Yeah. Yeah, whatever his alibi and, was. And, like, also, I love my son more than anything on this planet. I will not lie as an alibi for him, no. ever. No. I just can't do it. Especially when you already suspect that he is hurting some people and women, and then he's going to go on to do so much worse. And you, and it, it's on you. Mm-hmm. It is literally on you if that happens. Yeah. It's gross. I don't get it. So see my conflict about his poor family. Yes, I do. Because I already know his dad's lying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, On September 15th, 1956, police were called to a burglary at a home in Bothwell, which looked a lot like Peter had been there. So Peter had a signature of, this is weird, opening cans of food and dumping them onto the carpet. Okay, dumbass. Weird. Okay. And also leaving muddy boot prints on the carpet and bedding, which is a weird calling card. Like he was walking on the beds? Yes. With his muddy boots. Which is a weird calling card, but I'm not a serial killer, so I don't know how you decide that's going to be your thing. It's just like you want to just like, fuck up their house as You're much as literally possible. standing in the kitchen with a can opener, prying a can open. Like, it's so stupid, and but whatever. just dumping it. Yeah. Stupid. Um, so the next day, okay, so that's just a burglary. No one dies. Okay. The next day, there's a burglary at 18 Fensbank Avenue in Burnside, and cash and jewelry were stolen. Same canned food, same muddy boot. Oh, geez. Signature, right? One day later, on September 17th, police were called to 5 Fensbank Avenue to the Watts family home. So William Watt was the dad or husband um, of the family, and he was on a fishing trip. He was a baker, and he owned several bakeries in town. Um, his wife, Marion, her sister, Margaret, and his daughter, Vivian, who was 16 years old, were home. Helen Collingson, which was their domestic worker, I don't they called her the help, but she's like... A maid? Yeah, basically. Okay. Um, had arrived to the Watts family home to find the curtains pulled closed and a glass panel on the front door broken. She called the police, and they found all three women shot to death in their beds. So he broke in at night? He broke in at night while they were sleeping. Oh, God, my worst nightmare. And shot them all in their beds. This is literally, like, houses down from the last place, from the night before. So the night before, he's at... 18 Fensbank Avenue. That night, he's at 5 Fensbank Avenue. Wow. So I don't know if he broke into the first place and got spooked, or no one was home. Or he now he just feels very comfortable on this street. Right. Testing the waters again. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, a Webley service revolver had been used as the murder weapon. So again, Peter was a person of interest in this case so much that they were able to attain a search warrant for his parents' house at 32 4th Street in Uddingson. So they're still thinking like, we don't, there's something hinky about this guy. Right. Yeah. Um, but they weren't able to find any incriminating evidence against Peter. And of course, Peter wouldn't tell the police anything. And his father even claimed harassment from the police department. Oh my God, go away, father. You're harassing us. Why are we, why are we being victimized? You didn't do anything. Wow. So uh, the police charged William Watt, the dad, who was on a fishing trip, with the murders of his family. Oh, so he's saying, like, you killed your family. But didn't he have his own alibi? Yes. So he was arrested and held in Barlinney Prison. The police suspected that William drove back to Glasgow in the night, murdered his family, and then returned back to his fishing trip to serve as an alibi. A fair, this is like, this is what bothers me about evidence. <laughs> a ferry master and another motorist, whoever that is, identified William in a lineup to confirm their suspicions. Oh, yeah, we saw him on the highway. Yeah, and honestly, that's not evidence. That's witness testimony. Nothing. And witness, it, that witnesses are almost always, you can't trust a witness statement. That's all. Because people see things differently. They don't. They see things the way they want to see them. They remember things differently later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's there not were even no, evidence. <laughs> there was no record, right. no, no paper record of him getting on the ferry, no copy of his license plate, no, you just have a guy who drove past him on the freeway. And then separately, these two people walked in and picked him out of a lineup? Apparently. That's kind of crazy. So apparently this was enough to charge him with murder, arrest him, and put him in jail. So... While William was being held at Barlinny, Peter also found himself there for who fucking knows what. He I did something don't stupid. don't know why he was there. Okay. But Peter sought William out and told him he knew who really killed his family. What? Yes. But when, so William's like, hey, this guy knows who killed my family. When Peter's questioned, of course, he won't talk. He was just fucking with him. Yeah. So after 67 days in custody, the case against William turned out to be nothing, and he was released. That poor man. With multiple businesses in town. That's so annoying. And his family just got murdered. That's what I was going to say. So he's grieving the loss of his entire family. Yes. He also has businesses that are obviously not being run at this point. Mm -hmm. And he is in prison for something he didn't commit. Mm Mm-hmm. So the reason the case against him was dissolved is because the murders didn't stop after he was arrested. So there's the signature, 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 and then another one happens, and they're like, wait, but our guy is in jail. So it can't be him. You guys got it wrong. You guys got it wrong? Yeah. So, um, but police didn't know it wasn't Watt until the next family was found dead, unfortunately. That's terrible. On Sunday... December 29th, 1957, William Cook of Mount Vernon, different William, um, reported his 17-year-old daughter, Isabel, missing. She had gone out dancing the night before, but never came home. That was unlike her, and her family was frantic. During the investigation, police searched the River Calder and found Isabella's, uh, sorry, Isabel's shoe, her handbag, and other personal items. 
Muncie, the original detective, was also working this case. Okay. Her body was not recovered, and police continued to search. On Monday, January 6, 1958, so this is eight days later, while Muncie was leading a search of the area, still looking for Isabel, Chief Constable John Wilson alerted him that three people had been shot in a bungalow in Uddingson. He requested that Muncie provide assistance, and Muncie left to investigate. So, 38 Sheepburn Road in Uddingston was the home of the Smart family. Peter, 45, his wife Doris, and 11-year-old Michael lived in the house. The police were alerted when Peter Smart did not show up for work on Monday. All three of their bodies were found with gunshot wounds through their heads by a Beretta pistol at point-blank range. He fucking shot an 11-year-old. They were... Fuck you. Yeah. They were all sleeping in their beds. The investigators concluded that they had been dead for several days, but evidence from the neighbors showed that curtains were open and closed and lights were turned on and off, which indicated that the killer had either remained in the house or returned several times after killing the family, which is reminiscent of his burglary in Birkinshaw, Lincolnshire, when Muncie first started looking into Peter. Like, remember, he was just hanging out in the loft. Oh, in Lanarkshire? It's <laughs> <laughs> gay. Yeah. No, so, yeah, I mean, he, he just kind of likes to hang around. Apparently. Yeah. Give, a, give the impression that somebody's still there. And for what Or maybe reason? just have a place to stay and hang out. I That's what I'm thinking. I don't know. I think that he just is enjoying his afterglow. Because he's a sick fuck. Yeah. Well, I agree with that. Um, so at the Smarts house, Peter was eating their holiday leftovers, oh my God. feeding the family cat. Like choke on it, dude. You know what psychotic murderers do. Um, hang out at the scene of their crimes. Uh, Peter Smart's car had been stolen and was later discovered that Peter, the murderer, not the victim, um, had stolen the car. And offered a ride to a policeman in the stolen car. What? After he had murdered their family. Just like, hey, guys, like, you want a ride? Hey, guy, do you need a ride? What? So the policeman took the ride. He even told the policeman that he thought that the police were looking in the wrong place for Isabel Cook's body. Oh, yeah, he's, like, inserting himself in weird ways Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's getting messy. It's getting off on that. So... It's getting really messy because he is very easily caught. He's not the greatest of... No. He's not very sophisticated. Right. And he gets caught a lot throughout the history of his crimes. Like, Which is also crazy. Like, why is he out on the streets again? I... Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he had stolen... Peter had stolen banknotes from the Smart Family Home. Um, and spent them at local pubs. So people locally knew, you know, vaguely who he was. They knew that he was broke. He never had money when he went to the mm, pub. They're like, wow, suddenly he's flush. Yeah, suddenly What's he has all on? this cash. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why he's caught. So on January 14th, oh. 1958, Peter was arrested and charged with the murders of the Smart family. So through that arrest, the police got a new warrant for Peter's parents' house and were able to recover items stolen from a unrelated Mount Vernon break-in. So I don't somebody had some special thing. And they found it. They found it. <laughs> but the items were recovered from Samuel, his father's bedroom. 
So Samuel was arrested for being in possession of stolen items. Okay, Samuel Manuel. I'm upset now. <laughs> Your name was cute, but now I'm mad at you. Yeah, so he's hiding them in his bedroom, so he's arrested. Charges possession of stolen items, and I'm guessing burglary. They could tie all that together. Um, but when Peter heard that his father was arrested, he immediately made a deal with the police. He would offer up all the information on his crimes. He would take them to the spot where he threw the Webley and the Beretta pistols into the River Clyde. And he would take them to the place where Isabel- Isabella Cook was buried. And he would confess to everything. Like he wanted to protect his father? Apparently. Hmm. So, he confessed to the murders of Anne Neelands, the Watton Smart families, and Isabella Cook. He actually, while in custody, confessed to killing 18 people, but was only tried for eight. 18? I don't know who these other 10 people are. Hmm. Maybe, maybe he was, like, making it up. Or maybe he was just never connected, but he didn't say the names. Maybe. So um, he was also attributed to the murder of a Newcastle taxi driver named Sidney Dunn in December of 1957, but they didn't tie him to that case until after his execution. Oh, okay. They found a button from one of his jackets in her taxi. Oh, wow. So I don't know if that means he actually killed her. Some people say he didn't. He never confessed to it. Was her body found? Blah, blah, blah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I Um, just assume that he did it. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I mean, yeah, throw it on there. Uh, you You know? Uh, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, police were able to recover the body of Isabella Cook after Peter directed them to where she was. Uh, Peter stalked her, raped her, and strangled her before burying her body in a field. Oh, man. When Peter returned to the place where Isabel was buried, he casually remarked, this is the place. In fact, I think I'm standing on her now. Oh, he was loving it. He was fucking loving it. Yeah. Um, I have to say I'm honestly kind of shocked that he gave a full confession because his father was arrested for possession of stolen property. Yeah, it seems a little weird. I I will never understand how a person can brutally assault and murder people in cold blood but try to protect other people. I just don't get it. Like, Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a true sociopath, though, because he... There must have been a reason for that because he feels no emotion. He doesn't have any empathy... He doesn't have any remorse. Like blackmail? But yeah, what? Like why your his dad, dad has more on you than we knew about? I don't even think that. But he confessed that. to everything. No, I mean, he, he probably had someone that he cared about. Yeah, I would be very interested to know more like about their dynamic and that or his youth. There's nothing. Yeah, because uh, th- there sounds like there's a, a weird relationship mm-hmm. vibe happening that we don't know. And also, I couldn't find anything about his mom. Hmm. Like, she's there on the periphery, but... But he also raped and murdered women, so... Exactly. I don't know if that says anything about his relationship with his mom. Right. Or not. Um, the trial of Peter Thomas Anthony Manuel was opened at Glasgow High Court on Monday, May 12th, 1958, just four months after his arrest. His trial is one of the most documented trials in the history of the Scottish criminal justice system. The eight murders he committed made him Scotland's most prolific mass murderer. And, of course, because Peter has a massive ego, he fired his lawyers <laughs> and represented himself. Of course he did. And I thought, like when so I was many other that, serial killers. <laughs> I thought done. when I was writing that, does that sound like any other serial killers? And actually, it does. There are a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, the dating game killer, 
Ted Bundy. Oh my God, Ted. Um, Dylan Roof, who mm-hmm. is the guy who opened fire on the prayer service in 2015. Oh, yes. Nadal Hassan, the Fort Hood mass shooting Ugh. in Texas. That was like 2012, I think. Um, Charles Manson, the craziest of all, et cetera. It's actually kind of common. Yeah, because they, there's actually like a top 10 list. Yeah, it's, it is their ego, 100%. Disgusting. There's like the watching the videos of Ted Bundy basically represent himself is wild. Well, first of all, from an from an onlooker's point of view, it's so like you're rolling your eyes at it. Like, dude, we already you're not getting away with it. No. Like Charles Manson, your crazy ass can represent yourself all you want. It's not gonna help. Yeah. I mean, it might be your final time to say something but you cross-examining yourself is not working in your favor like, like you think it is you basically just hired the worst lawyer that you could hire. right <laughs> yeah you basically got the worst defense attorney you could yes. have gotten it's the worst so um of course you guessed it we all guessed it he was not able to convince a jury that he was innocent well thank god for that and not only was the trial surprisingly short by modern standards 14 days long but it took the jury only two hours and 21 minutes of deliberations to convict him of all charges against him. Wow, that is pretty fast. Except for the murder of Anne Neelands, which had been dropped due to lack of evidence. Uh, so so he, he did confess to it, but there wasn't enough evidence to... I see. Yeah. Um, he was sentenced to death at 4.45 p.m. on May 26, 1958, which, after a failed appeal... Peter was executed at 8 a.m. on July 11th, 1958, at 31 years old. Wow, that was quick. It was quick. He had about a month and a half of appeal time. That was it. Wow, things have changed. Yep. And he was the one, two, third. They say he was one of the last people executed. In Scotland? Yeah. Okay. But he is the third to last. I see. So I say one of the last. He could be the tenth to last. He'd still be one of the last. Yeah. Uh, Peter's final meal was fish, chips, tomatoes, tea, and brandy. Oh, fish and chips. That's not a bad last meal. I mean, that's kind of what I would pick, I think. I love it. His last words before being hanged were, turn up the radio and I'll go quietly. Turn up the radio and I'll go quietly. That's what he said. Wow. That's weird. So, um, I'm just going to talk about, like, his... Were they playing a radio while he was being hanged? (laughs) I don't know. know. I don't know. And um, the, what do they call him? Undertaker, executioner. Mm -hmm. um, That performed his execution. His name was Harry or Henry. One of the two. There's a book called like Hanging with Henry. No. And they go over like the execution procedures. I like that. It could be interesting. I am yeah. I just saw a little tagline of it on the Wikipedia page, like hanging with Henry, and I'm like, I'm like, I want to be hanging with that. Wait, kinda, I don't want to be hanging. That's with Henry. <laughs> gruesome. I think it's like interviews from the Undertaker. Wow. So, um, this guy and his likeness, um, were in season four of Murder Maps on Netflix. Oh, so I he's feel portrayed. like I've watched that before. Um, Brian Cox loosely based his portrayal of Hannibal Lecter in the film Manhunter on Peter. Really? I had no idea. Um, in 2016, the broadcaster ITV commissioned a three-part drama called In Plain Sight based on the case. I've heard that's really good. Um, 
Some family members of the victims have asked that In Plain Sight no longer be aired. Really? They're very offended. Oh, so maybe it's not good. I've never watched it. Um, I think it's probably good. I think the family is just upset by it, as you would be. I could totally understand that. Yeah. Um, and then Denise Mina based her 2017 novel called The Long Drop on Peter. Interesting. Her character. Um, Dr. Richard Goldberg of Aberdeen University Law School believes evidence about Peter's mental health was withheld from the court. So this is in modern day review of this trial, deliberation, etc. Okay. Dr. Goldberg, whose father witnessed a medical examination of Peter while working as a consultant at the Western Infirmary in Glasgow, said he believed Peter may have escaped the gallows if the court had been told the full extent of his health problems, which included a form of epilepsy many believe can cause criminal behavior. I've never heard that. I've never heard of it either. So what he talks about is, I don't know why this is like not written on here. Is it kind of like when your frontal lobe is damaged and then it basically takes away all of your impulse control and... You know, something like that, because I have heard that happening. Like when people get head trauma and then. Yeah, like a traumatic brain injury. Right. So maybe this type of epilepsy causes trauma to your frontal lobe. It could be. Um, He never talked about epilepsy. There's no. Nothing about seizures. Nothing. Interesting. Um, So. He believes, Dr. Goldberg believes, that the possibility of a mental disorder that Peter had, which would have led to diminished responsibility verdict rather than execution. And he believes that it was not adequately explored, adequately explored during the trial, probably because he represented himself. Well, he had, because his defense attorney was shit. (laughs) So, So, I mean... In law, diminished responsibility is a defense which states that someone is not mentally well enough to be totally responsible for their crime. In the UK, diminished responsibility is only a partial defense and only applies to murder, which would have spared him the death penalty only. It wouldn't have spared him the whole... He still would have gotten murder. Right. They just wouldn't have killed him. I see. So Dr. Goldberg added, I think there was a considerable evidence that he was a psychopath, obviously. Um, There was debate over whether there should be a reprieve, and in my view, insufficient weight was given to the evidence and also to the fact that Manuel suffered from temporal lobe epilepsy. He said, to me, it is in the public interest that we have access to this information and that the public should see that justice was done properly and they should have access to everything in the manual files. I think it's remarkable that 50 years after his trial, there are still files that are closed and there is still uncertainty about what evidence still lies there. This is an interview with BBC Scotland and he um, told them he had come up against a brick wall when trying to access some files. So he added, when you read the files, you see the pressure from the Scottish Home Department. They look at this issue of his psychopathic personality, and they say, we don't think he's a psychopath, but even if he is a psychopath, he's a very marginal psychopath. So there is a pressure on people at the time to get him hanged. The problem is that psychopathic personality personality disorder still is not a basis for a plea of diminished responsibility, unlike in England, 
and this remains an anomaly. So I didn't know that. There Mm -hmm. were different jurisdictions have different stances on diminished responsibility, please. Makes sense, though. Um, And even though they're so, like, physically close together. Oh, yeah, it means nothing. Yeah. Um, Many of the papers used in Manuel's case were sealed for 75 years in 1958. Journalist Russell Russell Galbraith who covered Manuel's trial, said that there was little opposition to the decision to execute him at the time, even from anti-capital punishment protesters. He said, I do not remember any great enthusiasm for people trying to save him. I must say, although there was obviously an abhorrence at the death penalty in many places. So even the anti-capitalist punishment people were like, hang him. Wow. Yeah. That's very interesting. And also the the evidence part is interesting because we saw that in Johnny Frank Garrett. It's like all these years later, you still cannot access it. And it's... Which is weird. It is it so weird. It should be public record. It's not, though. And it's... And you wonder about that and the way the laws are made. Obviously, not just in America. So... Oh, yeah. It's not surprising to me at all. Well, and then I was looking up... Of course, I got rabbit holed into <laughs> diminished responsibility and... Um, diminished responsibility versus pleading insane for an insanity defense are two different things. Oh, I see. And then like what you can actually get out of an insanity defense. And because I guess to me, it doesn't really like match up. Like, because in the frame of the law, of course, if you're a lawyer, you're going to look at these things to get lesser punishment for your client. Right. Right. But I think someone who murders people, premeditatively as a serial killer is a psychopath. Like I thought those two things were hand in hand. I don't think that like serial killers are crime of passion people. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying because usually when you, it's a crime of passion, it's one and done. Right. Or two and done, whatever in that moment, the moment that's happening. Yeah. But not like a continual, I'm going to kill I'm going to have a crime of passion like every For two month, years. you know, Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So I feel like I just don't get like, why do you get that? Like, okay, it's a, a, a mental disorder that you have, mm-hmm. that you're a psychopath. Yeah. And you're murdering people. But like, duh, <laughs> you know? Like, why is that a defense? That would be April's lawyer. I mean, like, duh. Yeah. Why is it your defense that you're like, we, we know. Yeah. We no, know I you're know. insane. Because regular people don't just chop people up into little pieces and eat them. Right. But then the outcome is going to be different because then the thought is that you can be placed somewhere where you can get help. I guess. But they're also given lesser sentences. Yeah. No, it doesn't seem right. Which is annoying. It doesn't. To me. It is annoying. I mean, I get that it's like technicalities of the law, but it still annoys me. Yeah, I know. And I mean, again, it's like, you know, did you get a fair trial? We don't know. We don't really know with this guy because he. <laughs> we don't know because your stuff is still sealed. Right. And I mean, I'm all about a fair trial. Like, whether you're guilty or not, everyone should have a fair trial. Yeah. Um. Well, they did say, because I know confessions are sketchy. Yeah. They, they are. They did say that he had details that were not released to the public. Yeah. That only the person who killed those people would know. Right. So I don't know what exactly those details are, but allegedly he knew them. Right. I mean, that was a very quick execution. Very quick. And I think that's one of the reasons today why things can take so long and, and appeals can, you know, 
draw be drawn out Mm -hmm. you don't get 30 days well and I think now I mean I don't know it's hard because people are exonerated like 15 years later, 20 years later. I know. And that sucks. It's too. like, oh, we fit, we found out actually you weren't even there. Yeah. Oh, our DNA doesn't match. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's problematic. Yeah. And again, any people convicted on witness testimony, I just, it, it just, it can't happen. It just shouldn't happen. That can't be the only thing that convicts somebody. It can be part of a puzzle and it can be, you know, part of the evidence, but it cannot be all of it because it's meaningless. Yeah. You need to have at least one shred of physical evidence. Yeah. I mean, cause yeah. Or something. Everything's on camera now. Like you can't walk down the street without being on a camera. I mean, I would swear up and down that I see something and then, you know, I could be standing right next to someone and they see something totally different. Mm -hmm. And that's wild that our brains do that, but that is just, we're all human. And also trauma does that. The trauma also does that. It erases your memories. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So if you are the victim, then it, it makes things even harder. So, well, well, fuck you, Peter. Fuck you, Peter. You, I'm sorry I if you had epilepsy, but still fuck you. <laughs> because it doesn't negate the fact that you were kind of a horrible human mm-hmm. and did horrible things. Yeah. But that was very interesting information at the end. Thanks. So thank you. Yeah, April. I tried not to rabbit hole it too hard. I I rabbit hole so hard, I like injure myself. <laughs> oh I come gosh. in here with like sprained ankles because I'm like, <laughs> I fell down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I try not to, but sometimes it's it's too fun not to. Well, and you know, even though I watched a million shows about law enforcement, and crime, you know, true crime stuff or whatever, I don't know everything. No, and there's always something new to learn. We're yeah. not lawyers, okay? I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> and obviously, I don't even know what's the difference between an insanity defense and a... Well, you do now. You said you rabbit hold it. I do now. <laughs> now I know. You can't get me now. Now you know. So now I could represent myself as one of those. Don't do that. <laughs> My ego has grown just a little bit more. I'll be like, April, no. No. Let's not do that. Yeah, hire me a lawyer, please. <laughs> I will hire you a lawyer. Oh my gosh, thank you. Um, I will not give you an alibi, but I will hire you oh, yeah. a lawyer. Don't give people alibis. No, and I'm not helping you bury the body unless he did something horrific to you. That is fine. <laughs> See, that's crime of passion. <laughs> that's crime of passion. Oh, so one of the things they described as a... It wasn't an insanity defense, but it was the... What did I call it? fuck's it called why do i want to say imminent domain and no, that no, no. is not a diminished responsibility <laughs> a diminished responsibility defense would be if um a person who is developmentally disabled who is 30 years old right but has the mentality of a nine-year-old okay murdered someone who is making homosexual advances on them this is the this is the one they used not the one i'm using okay um and it freaked them out to the point where they felt pressured, like they had to do something, and or they had sex with this person, or what, they were convinced, and then the only way they knew to get away from that person was to kill them. Because technically, but why does it have to be just homosexual? Why couldn't it be No, any, no, no. It could be anything. Any sexual. That's just oh, okay. the thing that they use. I see what you're saying. So any As sexual an advances... Because they're technically like... No, no, no. So the point of the story is he has a mentality of a nine-year-old. Right. So because a nine-year-old can't be 
convicted of and tried for murder. I see. That's his diminished responsibility. That must be very hard to prove, though. Very hard. Unless you have a prior diagnosis, I guess. I guess, yeah. But you, again, you're not seeing those kind of people being a serial killer. No. Because serial killers usually have a very high intelligence. And I mean, relatively. I don't think this guy was that smart. Maybe not this guy. <laughs> was kind of dumb i think he got kind of lucky but for the most part if you're looking at you know your regular serial killers yeah you know there's a reason they get away with it for so long but yeah so just interesting to see like yeah i didn't really think like mentality of a nine-year-old you're treating him as a nine-year-old right who can't get life for murder Mm. you know what i mean yeah that's just interesting like i see how that makes sense and I see how other things don't make sense that fall under that purview that I just still don't like. Right. And if that, <laughs> and if that is an actual true statement, then again, I keep going back to Johnny Frank Garrett, but I just, I can't stop thinking about that case. Mm-hmm. Um, he was considered developmentally disabled and they didn't bring that to trial though. Right? No, nothing was brought to trial, but even so he's innocent. But e- even if he hadn't been, that there was still that caveat that wasn't even brought up. Yeah. You know. So if he did commit the crimes, then he may have a level of diminished responsibility because of Well, probably not because that seemed more like you creeped into someone's room. That wasn't like a moment of like ah you know what yeah. I'm saying. But yeah. I don't know. Oh, like more malicious intent. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh my god, are you guys fucking bored of us yet? Are you still are you still here? <laughs> are we still recording? Oh my gosh. Oh my god, I love you guys so much. Um thank you so much for listening to us. Always. Ramble on and on and on. Oh my god. If you're like screaming at your speaker Tell like us. shut the fuck up guys. We want to learn. If you have any like insight on any of the stuff, or you're like a lawyer and you want to give us the business, do it. I would yeah. love to hear it. You can email us at killerspiritspod at gmail.com. Absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at killerspiritspod. Um, you can check out our Etsy store. The store is just called Killer Spirits Pod. Um, or rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please do. And we love you guys so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.